Welcome back, listeners, to another episode here on the Matt Goes to the Movies podcasting network. We are back in the extended podcast universe for a spinoff we call Rob's Reviews. And I am so happy to be back with Eric talking about another one of our favorites of all time. When most people think of Paul Walker, the first thing that will come to mind is the terrible tragedy that was his fatal car accident. Following that, his film career is most closely associated with the Fast and the Furious franchise. In between his appearances in Too Fast, Too Furious, which is a movie title so stupid it's so hard to say, and the franchise's return with Fast 4, he appeared in a film called Running Scared. With a budget of only $15 million, the film didn't even recoup that at the box office, pulling in only $9.7 million when it released in January of 2006. According to our friends at Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it a middling 41% approval rating, while audiences give it a 79% rating. I would be in the audience score. This movie is not like much else I've ever seen. Once the inciting action begins, this film barely stops to take a breath, reminding you a lot of the final act of something like Natural Born Killers or pretty much the entire movie Crank. Running Scared is brutal, action-packed, nearly non-stop tension. It's gritty, it's grimy, full of awful people doing awful things, and it makes you feel like you need a nap when it's over. So to talk about what makes this one of my, uh, it's on my list of all-time most overlooked action noir gems, I brought in the person who first introduced me to this movie, my brother Eric. So Eric, uh, welcome back to the show. What up? Yeah, so it's been uh, six months to the day since we uh, recorded an episode for uh, Rob's Reviews, which, uh, listeners, if you enjoy these episodes, you can go check out The Rocketeer. It's on uh, Matt Goes to the Movies, wherever you get your podcast. It was a lot of fun to talk about. So we're going from a movie rated PG or PG-13, streaming currently on Disney+, Plus to pretty much the most opposite you can possibly get. There is nothing family-friendly about this movie, is there? No. it's Well, it's like the most non-porn opposite, I think, that you could get. It's, it's <laughs> pretty, pretty far away, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't get much further away from a family film than this. So um, we're going to go ahead and just get started with Popcorn Time. This is going to be spoiler-free thoughts. Now, this movie is not currently streaming as of this recording date. You know, it's uh, August 16th, 2022. It's not currently streaming on any service that's out there. So if you want to watch this movie, you need to buy it, rent it, or get it at your local library. So, Eric, because this was this was one that when we first started talking about doing Rob's reviews and doing some movies that have kind of been, you know, our, our favorites of all time and films that have lasted with us a long time. This was absolutely a movie you insisted had to be on the list. And when yeah. we were talking about the next one that we wanted to do, this was one that you campaigned very hard for. Uh, so I said, all right, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, um, I'm going to, yes, you lobbied very hard for this one. Yeah. So I'm going to let you start, tell listeners spoiler free, um, why they should uh, take the time to either rent it or track this down um you know at their local library or even uh pick it up at best buy or if you can still buy movies at best buy anymore oh yeah you totally can you can rent it on amazon too i think it's like 3.99 but i to be honest okay so this comes out in 2006 well beyond the uh, golden age of of our shared childhood uh you know era but still the reason i pushed so hard to do this was because this was like one of the 
most recent movies that I've seen that I can viscerally recall my first time seeing it. Like it, it, it's so imprinted on me, my first watch of this, that it, it reminded me of the awesomeness of like, you know, the, the naivete and ignorance of youth, you know, when like seeing a movie for the first time was a big deal for almost all the movies you see. So for this, the spoiler free pitch for this is there's multiple paths that, that occur during this movie that obviously are going to converge at some point, very akin to Guy Ritchie flicks like Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels that we'll get into at some point, I promise. But also with a spin that's very much like Max Payne, not so much the movie, but way more the very first video game for the OG Xbox. It's dark, it's gritty, it's primal, it's raw. I felt uncomfortable and anxious the entire runtime. I think it's 122 minutes, so probably 119 minutes I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> and that includes the, the end credits, by the way. So um, it's you will not be not entertained watching this. I would stake whatever little reputation I might have on that this will entertain you the entire runtime you know it's funny you mentioned max Payne because this really has those those crime noir kind of thriller vibes to it it you know the characters are terrible people largely there's there's really not anybody in this i mean the kids are good people for the most part they're just you know kids are, are usually pretty innocent overall um, but most of the adults are to some extent scumbags if not total scumbags and awful people um you know i i guess maybe joey's wife teresa she's not a saint but she's not really a bad person i suppose she's kind of an enabler i guess if you want yeah to call her she's she's a bare minimum she's an accomplice yeah to, to like a lot a, of what's going on like like a blissfully but culpably ignorant person yeah um culpably i would say is is good here but there's you know, very much like in Max Payne, you don't meet anybody in there that's a good person. They're all doing something wrong. Uh, these are not people that live next door to you, most likely. Who, where I don't even, and it doesn't even matter where you live. There's nobody in this movie that like you associate with. Likely, these people are the grimiest of the grimy, the worst of the worst in a lot of cases. But why should you watch this movie? Why is this movie in our you know personal film halls of fame? This is just a crazy ride that you have to go on at least once. Whether or not you ever feel the need to watch this movie again, it's something that I think you should check out once. It really reminds me, uh, you know, I made the comparison earlier to Natural Born Killers and that final act of the movie. Once the mayhem starts, it just really doesn't stop. Um, it reminds me a lot of the movie Apocalypto. And Eric, I don't know if you saw that or not. It's on it's, my uh, list. The Mel Gibson yeah, it's it's Mel Gibson's um, film that takes place. I want to say it's the Mayans. If I if I get the wrong, um, you know, Mesoamerican group of people, then I apologize. But um, you know, it's that's a chase movie that just never really lets up. There's huge tension. If you've seen that, you kind of get the vibe of what this is going to be. A lot of what happens in this movie is really implausible, and that's being kind. But just accept that there's a lot of implausible things that happen. And just kind of go with it and you'll really get into it. But yeah. 
this world is grimy. Every single adult character is a scumbag in some way. The the cinematography I really want to talk about in terms of what makes this movie work and why uh, you should see it. The camera pans. Oh my god. Especially the, in the first scene. I'm so yep. pumped that you said that. We'll get to it. But go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So the, the camera pans and zooms in just such a frenetic way is the only way to describe it. And it really just adds to this snowballing mayhem and energy that just continues to build throughout the movie. You know, really like any good noir thriller, this thing is violent and it's tense. You're going to be thinking about how you felt when you turned this movie off for a while. You know, Eric, you kind of talked about remembering that experience. If you've never seen this film before, watch it and you will remember how you felt at the end of it. You're, you're either going to need like a hug, a nap, or you'll need to like <laughs> get a like what, the first time I watched Natural Born Killers when it was done. Um, I looked at my college roommate, Justin, and I was just like, dude, we got to we got to watch like The Little Mermaid or something like that. I need something <laughs> to like cleanse my palate. Now that it's, it's not quite at that level. Go volunteer like, at a soup kitchen for a couple hours. Yeah, you got to do something feel a to little feel bit better. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't feel good about humanity when this is done, but it's still just a wild ride. Um, so I, I found a really cool quote, and I, I should have said it earlier. And I'm sorry, but it. So like my 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 pitch for this, it's 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 a dark, graphic novel, uh, like comic book type of thing. But uh, there's a, a quote from uh, Sam Wigley of Sight and Sound. It was the best quote that I found, and I don't even know if Sight and Sound is like great journalism or anything i don't really care either but the words work very perfectly and after you see this i mean if you want to write this down you're pretty awesome maybe a little bit too devoted but either way they just sam wigley described it as a wicked fairy tale kingdom and Mm. said that it plays in a dizzying blur of comic book hyper reality which i think perfectly fits what you said like you said that it's implausible it's not impossible just implausible and there's there is like you know you said the tension the the anxiety that this movie <laughs> causes you yeah from start to finish like you are carrying that with you you're carrying this burden because every single like it is the definition of one step forward two or three steps backwards like every single time you think like oh cool he's about to get Oh no, he's not. Okay. Now he's like way worse off than he was before. And uh, to be honest, we're going to get to it, you know, eventually, but I'm going to say it right now here within the first few minutes, uh, this might be like Paul Walker's best dramatic, uh, role ever. Mm. Uh, I mean, he, I think he really put it on because I remember feeling what he felt like I saw on the screen. There's a line where he says, I think I'm having a heart attack. Because he's just so amped up because of the crazy nonsense that's going on. And it's, again, it's just, it's not, like this is not a superhero movie. This isn't, you know, part of the, the MCU. It's not uh, uh, science fiction. There's no aliens. There's no laser guns. It is implausible, but you can definitely see and buy into everything that is happening. And it's, it's just, it's authentic as you're watching it. Big picture, kind of nonsense. But in the moment, narrow focus, you're in it, you're, the suspension of disbelief goes right out the window, you're chilling on that moment, whatever it is, but you really aren't chilling on it because it's, it's, it's tight, it's tough, it's, this is a hard movie to watch start to finish without feeling a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned a comic book movie because 
I, I sort of had some vibes that way when I when I did when I watched it earlier this week. And it's again, it's not that it's a superhero film or anything like that, but much in the way that you just accept certain things um, when you're either reading a comic book or watching TV or, or films, uh, you know, based in a comic book world. There's just certain things you accept, like you accept that the characters are a certain way. And these characters are, like I said, they're largely awful. Like they're largely terrible. So terrible people do terrible things. And it just seems crazy that so many terrible people would have the ability to do so many terrible things in such a short period of time. But that's the world that this inhabits. So um, I do want to mention this kind of before we get into um, the spoiler range where we'll actually start discussing the film. Um, I kind of just want to throw a little bit of content advisory out about this movie. This film is brutal at times. It's very graphic at others. It's full of adult language and violence. There's N-bombs. There's both kinds of F-bombs. There's kids that are shown to be in real danger. And we're actually going to be talking about some of those scenes. Yeah, so I just big know, time I know trigger warning, big time trigger warning. If you've got yeah. like, this physical or sexual trauma in your life, maybe don't watch this. If, if you feel some type of way when you see it. Yeah, I know there's a lot of listeners who will check out reviews of films and shows that they either haven't watched yet or probably just aren't going to have a chance to check out. So I, you know, I at least want to let you know, um, you know, obviously the show is PG, PG-13, um, and, and we're going to not go super in-depth on it. But just be aware that, you know, there's some really heavy stuff that happens uh, in this movie, and um, we're going to talk about some of those things. Um, so just kind of, you know, fair warning to you, the listener. Um all right, we're going to go ahead and move into uh, favorite scene and least favorite scene. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and just kind of start with my favorite scene. There's a lot of really fun. And, and this movie really, it it feels like a collection of just interesting, tense scenes that somebody wrote down. Like, what's the craziest, most wild thing we could have happen to a character who's chasing something across town all night? Um and so they just kind of wrote down what those were and they, and they just kind of connect the dots from one thing to the other. But so there's really a lot of things you could choose for me, um, at least on my most recent watch through the opening shootout. I, I just, I love the way that it sets the tone for what you're about to see. I love the way they rewind different parts of it in time to show you the finer details of the fight. I think it really sets the tone for the kind of movie you're about to watch you know, one thing that's kind of funny to me, though, is somehow in this crappy little flop house, uh, Joey decides to grab this this like six inch mattress that he's going to hide behind. And that's what protects him from these shotgun blasts that are coming through at point blank range. Again, it's one of those things that this whole scene is implausible that anybody walks out of there alive or, or well, not fatally wounded. See, uh, what you're doing right now is you are underestimating the thickness of the hull of all the bed bugs that are certainly <laughs> in that mattress. Yeah. They would yeah, definitely there's... be stopping anything that's less than double at buck. Okay. So, you know, he's actually really brilliant for that. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, gr it's a gruesome scene. Um, it, it really lets you know what kind of movie you're about to see. So uh, I'm going to call that my favorite scene. Eric, what was, what is yours? I love that scene um, because it, hundred percent exactly what you said it sets the movie up and this is my like one of my first notes it's like really like my third bullet point down the cinematography the the first person perspective of the shotgun shell 
when they shoot and then reload, you see the shell just spinning out. Like it's really cool. It's like, it's a little bit hokey, but it's not like campy. So it works because it does, it, it gives you that forced perspective, like where you are, you have no choice but to feel what's going on because it's making you the person who sees everything that's happening. And it is, it's, it's frantic. I love the setup with um, the cop because he, without a doubt, it, for some reason, like a dirty cop is on planet Earth, one of the least redeemable characters that you could ever put in a thing, right? Like any story you tell, if it's a dirty cop, they are like worse than criminals, right? Because at least the criminals are honest about the fact that they're not honest. But somehow the detective is endearing in his repugnancy I, I don't it's hard to describe it like there's parts of this movie that's it's hard to describe he's really good at that character so you get to see a little bit of that in this very first scene like they really you know tip their hand about him and you know all the stuff that happens like you said there's kind of like a rewind so you can focus i would lean very heavily towards this being my favorite scene if it wasn't for uh, one of the last scenes in the ice rink. I'm going to call that my favorite scene from start to finish. It's so, so cool. Cause you absolutely, if you tell me, you know what happens from the beginning of that scene without watching it, I'm calling you a liar. You have no <laughs> idea what's going on. It's, yeah. it's, it's so cool. And that adds to the tension because you can never trust what you're seeing to like, lead you to a, a reasonable conclusion uh, you know the further into the movie you get the less certain you are about the outcome and to me that's fantastic film you know you mentioned the uh dirty cop so it's a character uh, or it's an actor by the name of chaz palmentary and i feel like when i see him i feel like he's just he's a dirty cop in everything i've ever seen him in but i don't think he has been like i think he's played other roles too but it just feels like every time I see yeah, him, teach a it master feels like class in like how to play a dirty on how cop. to play a dirty cop. <laughs> yeah. And he's, but he's so charismatic in that role. Um, you Detective know, Rydell, you I just like, found it in my notes. It's yeah. Detective Rydell yeah. is his name. Yeah, you don't like root for him per se, but you appreciate what he's doing, like as a character. So, um, yeah, the ending for sure could be. Can it's it's very easily a great scene to to consider just because there's so much going on. It is the pinnacle of this snowball of carnage and mayhem that that rolls all the way to the finish line. So it is. Um, it's the payoff. It's the it's the river, you know, in poker terms. Yeah. So. Um, least favorite scene um eric i know that this is a movie that you absolutely love uh i'm gonna let you go first with your least favorite scene if you have one. Oh well i definitely do and i think it's probably the same as yours but we'll see um once in a while there comes a film that is so fantastic to whoever you know as a viewer if you think something's great then it's great but there's a film that you find to be so wonderful and masterfully made and crafted, but there's still parts of it that are really, really hard to watch. My best example I could give off the top of my head, it's American history X. There's a couple scenes in that movie, which at some point I hope we get to do. Um, That's a pretty tough one to talk about. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's hard to talk about. This movie has a segment that is extremely difficult to watch once you know what's going on. Cause it's not, right away 
it is you sort of feel a certain like imminence to something there's like there's definitely like a, a building crescendo of, of trepidation right where you are uneasy you know for sure that something is not right but you don't know exactly how bad it's going to be and then they really do just hit you with a hammer later on and, and it's the scene with des and adele and this is a trigger warning again um but it it, it does involve um some pretty serious stuff involving kids and, and i won't go any further because it's I, we might touch on it later unless you want to talk about it now but that entire scene up until the point where teresa resolves that is my least favorite but it when teresa shows up it's my runner-up for uh, favorite yeah so um i'll tell you what have you have you watched this movie other than preparing for this have you seen this movie in the last two years prior to this no, no, no. Do you feel more visceral about that scene today? You know, as you watch it oh, most I, recently than you did. So does that does that affect you differently? Being what, a dad what, now. Yeah. So what I was going to say, what my brother's referring to is the fact that I have a, a daughter and and she's going to be two in like two months, and it does absolutely. Yeah, it's. Um, I find that films I haven't seen in a while do affect me differently now when there's kids involved after becoming a dad than prior to it. And, and this one is, is for sure. So um, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, um, Oleg in his, you know, uh, he's fleeing for safety. He's just trying to find a safe place to be. He's running from one terrible situation to another. And he ends up somehow finding this van that's unlocked. Now, this is where I mentioned there's a lot of things about this movie that are really implausible. Um, just that's so pretty, my pretty long odds. Yeah. That, that so this going is into that van that's unlocked, you know, that's yeah. one. So this is also my least favorite scene. Um, and it's for a couple of reasons. First of all, just the way that it makes me feel. And also there's a lot going on with this. So the the reasons why I will call the just the whole you know section with the creepy pedophiles my least favorite scene, it's really a stretch of the willing suspension of disbelief that those van doors would be unlocked if they were abducting kids, um, and just it's really, again I'll use the word implausible that all of this would just happen along this kid's journey across town yeah. trying to get he away just like shot his stepdad with a to gun get into that, that. stole from his best friend who's also his neighbor yeah and then he ran away after that has avoided the cops and is now all of Gets, a sudden in the back of a van of child molesters after running away from a crackhead that was like holding the gun to him like oh yeah know, he was in the park with a crazy yeah. crackhead and a drug dealer like a, a serious drug yep. dealer <laughs> yeah it just really the whole scene kind of comes across like it was just dreamt up and inserted into the movie without really stopping to think if it was needed or truly added anything to it. So let me just ask you this, Eric, if this scene was removed and we instead get Oleg having some other kind of adventure where he, he meets other characters that he has to get away from that feel a little more ground. I mean, they just feel more grounded in this reality. Does that maybe change the movie? better? Yeah. I think it makes only makes the movie better. I don't think it makes it worse. If you take this scene out altogether. Um, I don't, but, it, it's hard for me to say something like that. I mean, it's a great question because that's without question, the worst of the worst, right? Like that's oh, the yeah. worst part oh, like of, beyond. Of, of all the scum that exists. Most of the people who are getting 
negative consequences have chosen the life that they're in. Kids have never chosen anything like that. Nope. And the, the people who are doing it absolutely know how wrong it is because they take great, great measures to not get caught. So and this is really where I have real problems with this scene is that these people are committing these heinous acts regularly and they just let some random crazy woman who's ranting and raving into their home uh, and they just let her in. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And and she's like running around and then it's only she's because also of, saying the name of the kid. She's saying yeah. that Oleg is here and, and she just lets that that's the kid's name. So like, how are you letting this person come into your home? Yeah, you know? no, you escort this person out of here. Like what? And it by seems the... like they're pretty successful at what they do because you like later on, you see like, it's so twisted. Like they're playing like a, a nursery rhyme, sing songy lullaby, but it's also a little bit twisted and dark. And then that's just where you get a lot of like the, the, uh, the, the graphic novel, you know, dark comic imagery. They show some stuff with shadows, which is very demonic and, and, you know, culty devil worshipy type of stuff. Um, it, it's just, it's a really tough 15 to 20 minutes. It's, it's hard to watch. There's a little bit intercut in there too, but like, yeah, when you consider the scene as a whole, yeah, it's probably about that. And, and, and that's kind of where I'm saying like this scene as a whole, when you put it all together. It, it sucks. I, I, if I could skip it, I would. Um, I think if they like, to, I guess to get back to your question from 10 minutes ago, I don't know what you could, what else, what else would you put up as a filmmaker as an option? He's already encountered the drug dealer. He's already encountered the really weird, creepy park, uh, crackhead. And he, you know, later encounters like very serious, very serious men who are gangsters. Um, you know, it's what almost else? like he encounters a variation of all of the seven deadly sins. Ultimately, you know, I, I mean, there's should have done some math on that because Lester, the yeah. pimp, who's amazing, so like he encounters him, and then like the the hooker that Lester the pimp is in charge of that kind of betrays she betrays him and takes Oleg to help him out at the pharmacy and pulls the gun, like the gun of the whole movie. Which, by the way, this movie is also a heist. I'm just gonna slide that in there, but. She pulls a gun on a pharmacist to get an inhaler for this kid because he's got the asthma and he's about, you know, be short on the oxygen and stuff. But, it, it, you know, it's showing some light side of darkness. And then, like, you know, it shows, the, the again, the Desna Delta nasty people. Like, they are, by all appearances, you know, great citizens of, of their area. You know, they dress nice. They, they seem to speak very properly. They're articulate and polite even in you know the circumstances that exist there um but you know just putting out there very good news um teresa just straight up blows them away <laughs> she she yeah. murders them both it's awesome it's it's my runner-up for favorite scene uh it's sick it's so cool when you see her do it because it's like yes you feel so good because it's like you know 30 seconds or so after you see that they have have raided these these dvds of these kids and and you just it's like the the sheer volume of of what they're it's a lot it's very it's massive it it weighs on you it's burdensome that that whole bit yeah it's um it again it is tough to kind of get through it's one of those things like once you've seen it that's probably about as many times as you ever need to so uh that uh our, our least favorite scene is is the exact same scene so um, I want to kind of get into some other scenes in the movie that either work or don't work. Um, and again, one of the real appeals of this movie is just how fast this thing gets frantic and how much that it just continues to ratchet it up. And just when you think 
it can't get any zanier and wilder. It continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it escalates. But like it incrementally, it's not like, you know, it's not like he's stealing somebody's car and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, taking over a foreign planet. You know, (laughs) they don't jump rungs like that. Like it's, it is incremental, but like, I guess it's hard to have like bad acting and bad writing if you have somebody who's convincing that's like pissed all the time. Cause like, that's yeah. really all it is. Like everybody is so serious and so angry the entire time that like, it's impossible to, to, yeah. to really have kind of a bad scene because it's just full tilt boogie the, the whole way. You know, really, I think where things start to get truly frantic for uh, Joey or, you know, our main character, obviously there's the opening shootout, but when he digs the bullet out of the wall while the cops are coming in and then picks it up with the gum. Wow. Just that, that's a really well written, well shot, just well executed, well scored scene, well edited. Just yeah. everything about it was is really well done. Um, moving forward a little bit, some scenes that don't particularly work. He he's in the hospital looking for the other bullet that they pulled out of the Russian's arm. Anzor. It's very implausible. Again, implausible. I'm going to use this word over and over again. Um, how he just kind of grabs some scrubs out of a, a dirty laundry pile and just nobody cares that he just grabbed those and puts them on. And he starts asking questions of doctors who should probably question why he doesn't know his way around the hospital. Like it just, that whole bit just kind of seemed like, well, that's just sort of convenient movie writing. Um, I won't call it lazy screenwriting, but it's, you know, just kind of convenient. Yeah, I it's kind of leaning on people already buying into it for the most part. Again, this is why I kind of started some with goodwill. Yeah, you need yeah. to sort of just go with it to fully yeah. enjoy this movie. Because um, I'll say, like, for the most part, like, I mean, I've, you know, I've been in the emergency room, like, many times <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Um, I would say probably 89% of those times were your fault. But um, <laughs> the the fact that I have this experience in hospitals, plus I've seen every episode of Grey's Anatomy and House. So I'm basically a doctor at this point. And MASH, by the way. But um, you got. I don't think, think that, that gives you a medical degree. <laughs> in a busier city, a hospital is probably not as as on point as everybody would like to think it is. So, like you know, you've got transplant teams coming in from everywhere. You've got visiting doctors and surgeons all the time, where nobody knows anything. Like you barely even know the people you're on shift with. But like it, to me, I think it's a little bit more believable that part of it. Like it's they could be anybody, and also like these people, medical workers got way too much crap going on to worry about anything else except for what is exactly in front of them with their patients. So like, I can't think that most of them are even gonna care because they're gonna think if you're in the hospital, you probably belong here. Let me answer your question and get about my day because I'm thinking about the next forty-seven things I have to do. So yeah, I'm will, I'm more willing to believe that, even though I totally get exactly where you're coming from. I think it would not play as well if it was a different, like if it was uh, more of a law enforcement building and an environment, or maybe a legal, you know, some other like government functional type of thing, and not a hospital. I think it would work better. Your argument, at least, would work better maybe in a school. But I think a hospital. I would is hope like a so. Little, <laughs> yes, you would like to think. But I think that is maybe like something where I'm a little bit more forgiving than than your average, you know, reader who might be or viewer would be skeptical. 
So a couple other things that it's, these aren't major complaints, but I'm still a little unclear when Nick finds Oleg and they hide the gun in the, in the tank of the toilet. I'm just a little unclear why Nick doesn't offer that he found Oleg in the gun. Like I, it's really, they try to sell it that he's afraid that his dad is going to hurt Oleg. And that's, that's kind of his ongoing fear. So I'll kind of give it a, a pass a little bit there, but I got to know, how often do you think janitors who clean public bathrooms actually open the tank of the toilet? Like, how often does that happen? Because <laughs> that's infrequent. Yeah, very yeah. infrequent. So that was one that I was kind of like, they're, eh. they're probably, it's infrequent they even go in the stall. I mean, if you right. have any experience using public bathrooms, <laughs> especially at some like, truck stop diner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So some dude, some dude named Manny, who's probably like second generation immigrant, you know, he's not. Going he's probably an undocumented immigrant at that. Like he's probably yeah. making cash under the table so that the IRS doesn't know that um, he's an undocumented immigrant. But yeah, so there's the scene that I'm referring to, um, you know, they're in a diner. Nick notices Oleg is in the diner. So he makes an excuse to go to the bathroom. Uh, Which is also, he, by the way, this whole scene is crazy intense because like the, at this point, Joey, you know, Paul Walker's character, Joey Gazelle, he is suspected by his own crew as having screwed up so badly. Like yeah. at this point, they're probably 35% concerned that he has effed up so bad. Yeah. So like there's an inkling of that. And then like his kid is there and he's not supposed to be there. And Oleg is also there. And Oleg is the one who has the gun. And Joey knows this. He knows this for a fact that Oleg has the gun. But he doesn't know Oleg's there. But Nick does. And Nick knows the other thing too. Nick is the only one who knows both. And he's a kid. And it's and this is his absolute best friend. And he thinks that his dad, who he, you know, really does respect and fear a little bit, I'm sure he thinks his dad's gonna hurt his best friend and he's probably got nothing else because he seems like he's kind of a dork but it's it's a child you can't you can never know what they're yeah. thinking what what they're going through and, and so but there's this that that's such a tense scene too like there's so many scenes that we're gonna say like it's so tense like i'm sitting here ripping my hair out just thinking about it like i'm rocking yeah just it um it's like, I can kind of understand that, but just when, when they hide it in the tank and the janitor had gone through that, like that, I was just like, all right, come on. That's, that's... one of the less uh, believable things. Yes. You're yeah. 100% right there. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about just some other scenes that really work well for me. Um, so we fast forward through, um, they track down where Manny is. Um, they track down, you know, he was at this card game and he, he, you know, the gun is now with somebody else. Uh, so he he figures out that the where this this gun is now located is at um, apparently a 24 hour um, uh, service center because it's like three o'clock in the morning by this point And the dude's just in his shop working like that's one yeah. of the other really implausible things about this movie is it takes place more or less in real time. Um, it's, you know, uh, this- it's It takes place over an 18 hour period total. Cause they do like in the beginning, they tell you it's like 18 hours earlier is when this happened, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, um, you pretty it, much see a lot. the events happening as they happen. Like, yes, y- y- this is all going on overnight and, and everybody is still awake and up and going about their day at like three o'clock in the morning. But anyway, so he's in, which uh, by the way, he's already been in a shootout with 30 cops Yeah, and he's, he's doing all this other stuff later. Yeah. Just later that night. Um, so he's at the, he's at the garage and he's trying to get information from this guy and the dude kills the lights and he has the fight with the torch and the way that that scene is lit 
is so well oh, done. It's so kick ass. Everything, every time he hits that torch, because it's like a welding torch or a cutting torch. Like it's that's serious heat coming out of that thing. Like, yeah. I didn't bother to do the research, but if you want to, just look up the temperature that a cutting torch or a welding torch burns at. It's hot. And yeah. that also leads to one of my favorite lines, which we'll get to later. Yeah. So it's um, it, just the way that whole scene is done. I, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, I kind of want to, in terms of other things, again, I'm going to use the word implausible. That's that's Rob's word of the episode. Why is it necessary for the boys to be dragged into all of these encounters? Like part of the tension of this movie is, is your fear for the character of Paul Walker, but also the fear for the, the safety of these two boys. And it seems unnecessary at times that they're dragged into the situations that, that they're dragged into, particularly when it's the, the boy's father taking him into these situations. And we have no reason to believe that Joey doesn't care for his son, Nikki, you know, we have every reason to believe he loves his son and would want him to be safe. And yet he continues to put him in, yeah. in potentially harmful situations like, over and over. Things that are actually probably more than likely to go very bad. Like it's, it's better, better than a coin flip that, that things are going to spiral dude. <laughs> Every yes. time. So the another scene that we get a little bit later that's maybe a bit much so if you kind of remember i actually don't remember what company it was i think i think it was a, a credit card company that would just do you know like uh they would talk about like four or five different items and would put the cost and then at the end it was like enjoying oh, yeah. your family like, prices uh, it was visa or american express something like that i think it was a credit card company and yeah the, and oh, this, i know it was but like that was a thing that for all of the mid to late 2000s, like that was something that was picked up on by everybody. Yes. And we get that with one of the mobsters as he's double crossing the dirty cop. You know, he does like the whole, you know, cost of the bag is 60 bucks. The cost of the cell phone is like a hundred, um, you know, getting his revenge back on. Well, on you know, one of the Semtex, you know, oh, yeah. a couple, couple hundred bucks too. Yeah, so he he's, that he's saying was, all that so uh, like nonchalantly, like it was yeah. totally not a big deal at all, or that he was calling this dirty cop on a cell phone that was going to cause one ounce of Semtex to explode. Yeah, um, that to me, I think it didn't hold up as well over time. I I don't know. I don't. You might feel different, but it just was. It was a bit too much. If you don't know the reference. I think it probably leans very much towards uh, like a, you know, weekly procedural police type of thing in drama, you know, where like somebody says something that's kind of corny. If you know the the joke and you saw this movie back in 2006, then it actually was probably really awesome. Hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. But like now, if you know the joke and then you watch it again now, it's, it's really lame. (laughs) It does kind of fall flat. yeah, it, it it fails. So, but they couldn't have known that at the time. Yeah. So a um, couple other things I want to just kind of talk about in this segment. We get to the ending and it's the, you know, the big, uh, the big finale that you talked about is your favorite scene. They've, they're still having hockey practice at like 4 a.m. apparently. Um, but the, well, the, uh, all the mobs are there. Those hockey players were scumbags too. Like you said, yeah, they're all scumbags. The only, right. the only innocent people in this are the kids, and they're like, honestly, they're a little bit shady. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're on their path. 
Um, yeah. But uh, so we get to this big shootout at the end. Uh, everybody's getting their comeuppance. All the bad guys are getting shot, taken out. The big mob bosses are going down. The henchmen are all going down. Paul Walker's getting laser beam hockey pucks to the yeah, forehead. Yeah. And, and somehow doesn't is not immediately concussed. <laughs> or unconscious. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it, that's one of the things, though. Again, the Simmons heartbeat. Like, they show a close-up of this guy skull getting yeah. a puck a piece of vulcanized rubber getting shot like super fast that's yeah. what they you're gonna have a bad time it's gonna suck so bad i oh man just seeing it because in the reaction paul Walker's reaction is pretty sweet i think and this is part of the authenticity because like he gets worked over pretty bad a couple times some guys are getting you know beat up and i believe pretty much everything i'm seeing yeah Honestly, like Joey gets shot later in the in the film, and I still think that the hockey pucks to the to the skull probably sucked Hurt, worse than getting worse, shot. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, this the the only people who actually walk away from this are Joe and Oleg. That's it. Everybody else is dead or bleeding out. That is just like convenient screenwriting once again. But you know, again, like I said, you kind of just got to go with it. But even with this uh, somewhat fairy tale ending, if you will, even you know though this was supposed to be a wicked fairy tale kingdom, you know it it plays, it works. It's not cliche. It's not you know tropey. I I think that I appreciate it uh, the way that it ends. And I honestly, I'm as a dad now, way better ending. You know, as a as a family type of thing, you feel much better about it as a dad than you do as a, as a single person who you know, might be a little bit more critical of such a thing, but I, I never remember thinking that it, the ending sucked. I think it was actually, no. uh, it was pretty cool. I do want to get to one thing though. Um, so we are in full spoiler territory. So if at this point, if you're still listening and you're kind of deciding if you want to actually watch this for yourself or not, this would be the point where I'm going to say, I'm going to reveal a fairly large spoiler for this movie. Um, and uh, and there's really no no going back from this point forward if you're still trying to decide if uh, if you want to watch this movie for yourself or not. But uh, Joey reveals uh, that he has been working undercover for the last 12 years and even his wife doesn't know that he's an undercover cop. Really? He says that he's been undercover and his wife doesn't even know that he's a, a, an agent for the FBI. She thinks he's just a local hustler with a, you know, part of a crew. A mid-level Doesn't soldier. Even know. He's a mid-level soldier. He reports to he, some decent, decently powerful guys. He doesn't really have anybody reports to him, though. So he's he's not really a high-ranking scumbag at this point. No, he's, he, but he's a soldier. He's just doing people's bidding, you know, but yeah. he, he does answer to somebody yet, high up, you know. And yet his wife never finds out, like, any of this. Like, that's the, that's the part. Like, Well, she, she knows was, that he's – she says, like, when they're sitting after she murders the Chomos, which, by the way, was awesome. Um, he, you know, she says like, you know, you've been with some mixed up people and blah, blah, blah. But like, she yeah. talks about, you know, pure evil. I've never seen evil and I know you're yeah. not evil. So it's, it's, she knows that he's a scumbag, which means that he's really good at his job. But there's so many parts of this that he doesn't react the way that somebody who is actually either. I, I read that it's FBI that he's with. I just always assumed he was a cop, but I think, you know, it is FBI. 
because I think you see it at the end when that somebody's yeah. either got a jacket on or they say something that clues you in about it. Yeah, they they wait this long. They didn't. They never had enough stuff to take the cot. The, you know, the bosses down prior to this. Like they never had enough prior to this. And and all of the times that he's reacting throughout the movie, he doesn't react in private ways when nobody's looking in ways that like somebody who's a law enforcement officer would react like when he runs next door to find out why somebody's shooting at, like he's going into guns blazing. Like he's not going over like the way that a cop would go over. I don't know. Well, there's a large so, part of that that just feels like it's, it's supposed I've, to be a twist ending. And it just, there's parts of it that just don't work for me. The way that he handled his gun, especially when he was like searching anything that had him with a gun up searching, he held it exactly the way that a cop holds a gun. Particularly like when he had the flashlight. Yes. Like he's, his grip is, it's good. Okay. It's disciplined. It's, it's technique. Like it, it's, it's there. So it's not the way a street I, dog holds a gun, which is a completely no. different way. So I, I, and not to say that like the, you know, we're being over dramatic and we think that every criminal holds their gun sideways. Okay. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're gun people. If you don't know, but so like, but, when I, I know for a fact, like I remember so many things about the first time I saw this, but the first time I saw it, I thought he's kind of holding that gat like a cop, but like, I didn't feel the need to really explore that any further. Cause I thought maybe that's just cause you know, he was in fast and furious and he was a cop. So like, you know, actors get trained by actual experts in the field many times, you know, whenever they're performing some kind of role that they wouldn't be familiar with. So you know, I'm I'm just thinking like it, it makes sense. A lot of guys in Hollywood, that's just how they do it because they were taught to do it like that. You know, so I didn't really play it up too much. And then whenever the big reveal happens, I was like, "See, I knew the whole time." You know, <laughs> thinking I'm sweet, <laughs> but so that's that's number one. But the other thing was that he, I, I think that a lot of something this serious with this type of undercover you are sort of going to pick a guy who's a little bit questionable to begin with. Like you, like he's going to, he's got to be able to fit in. He's got to be able to, to be a scum bag, Like he's got to be able to be a, a, a gangster and do nasty, questionable stuff. Like he was involved in a cop murder, you know, and it was during a drug deal, you know, but like, what's he supposed to do? Pull out a badge after all that happens. You know what I mean? So like, and you know, he says when they lift his shirt up after, which by the way, the gunfight in the ice rink is so awesome. The gunfight is so freaking sweet. You don't see a gunfight like that in any other movie. It's really cool because they they have black lights on with with neon paint under the ice, and it just it makes everything the way that it should be for this movie. But anyway, it just looks different. Yeah, it has a it, different it, look to it. It's super cool. I hear I hear what you're saying on those things. To me, it's still felt like a little bit of a, Hey, let's, let's just make a twist. Like I probably would have believed he was, he he had become a snitch at one point more so than just that he was FBI the whole time. I don't know. I think there's some things that I would have done a little bit different if it was my movie to write. Uh, when we get to that what, point, what would you do? Tell me, tell me, like I said, I probably, I don't, I, I definitely wouldn't have made him a cop for, for 12 years. I probably, it? I probably would have had him uh, have, you know, he he was looking to get out of the life and he turned state's evidence or something, you know, and, and agreed to be um, an informant. I probably would have gone that route than just making a full on FBI and his wife didn't even know. Cause that to me, I was just like, not He's a supposed to be, but see like you're, you're, you see what you're taking away from it is the fairy tale graphic novel comic book 
thing. There has to be a hero. He's not a hero if he's just a scumbag who decided that he wasn't about that life. He has to be a hero who undertook such an assignment very well knowing that anything that happened after he said yes was either in pursuit of this criminal's arrest or something to support the pursuit of his criminal arrest. And it very well could be not real. You know, like his marriage might not even be real for for all anybody knows. Well, I think there's different points where if he truly had FBI and and those level of resources, I feel like there's times he could have leveraged some of that information. I don't know. Um, I'm going to move on. The next thing that kind of felt a little bit weird to me. So they have this giant shootout at this ice rink. Some terrible things happen. And uh, he asks Oleg if he wants to go to the hockey game at the same arena where he just watched his father figure get shot. He almost died in a total bloodbath. Yeah. And And he can't wait to take at least two players from the team that he wants to see win. Like he's going to be cheering on are now dead (laughs) after they tried to kill the dude who saved his life. And this isn't just like all taped taped off to be a crime scene. Like there's actually still going to be a game like that part to me. I was just like, get the hell out of here. See, I don't so, think that um, I really never thought that deep into it with that. Like the hockey <laughs> connection for me was just like, Hey, screw it. Let's go see a hockey game. You know, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe that was like the practice rink, but I really think based on the fact that they had all the black lights, like that was the actual rink they played in. So I, I know that this is pr- like listeners are probably going, oh, this is just Rob Ruin and stuff again. But, you know, it's just like little random weird crap Same. that I think of. If Maybe you, nobody else does, but that's just notice, me. then it should be talked about. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I get it. So, uh, Eric, were there any other uh, thoughts you had on other scenes of the movie that you wanted to talk about before we move on? So, like, the hockey player thing, for me, like, ultimately just doesn't work. I know I just sat there and defended the fact that, like, you know, everybody in this movie that's not a kid is a scumbag. But, like, minor league hockey players, like, they might be desperate, but they're not that desperate. Like, they get any point because they're clearly minor league. Like, the, and it, they never really say it, but when there's not bleachers on the, like, or seats on the other side of the arena, it's minor league. Okay. <laughs> if you're not yeah. in a massive or semi pro like, at best, like, 18,000 plus seat arena, it's, 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 it, you know, it's not the big show. Um, we're going to move into another segment. We call this segment F bombathon. And, uh, it seems like Eric, a lot of the movies that we review, uh, with the exception of the rocketeer and, uh, gone in 60 seconds, yeah. uh, <laughs> tend to have a lot of these in it. In this movie, it's, I believe in one line it's used as every part of speech. So, uh, what did you find for the total number of F bombs dropped in this movie? All right. So I, Definitely don't just sit there and count. I don't tally them. Listeners, if you think that I do that, I don't believe No, no, not. that's, yeah, there'd be no way you, your thumb would break in this movie. I if just, you had one of those I just look it up. The uh, total that I came up with when I searched it on the old interwebs was uh, 315 for the entire runtime uh, for a average of 2.58 per minute, which is significant that's not a small number that's up there yeah and i think in like one thirty second span it's got to be like 45 <laughs> different parts a couple, so a couple scenes they hit it pretty hard 
I, I think it's not, it's, it's not like frivolous most of the time. Sometimes in Goodfellas, I felt like it was a little bit superfluous, right? Like I thought yeah, it was, you know, but I think there, I do find sometimes in this movie where it's, and I, and I don't know if it's like just a bad ad lib, but there was times where it was just like it, it, a bit excessive. There was excessive. a couple Paul Walker moments, I think. Yeah. Oh, mostly. yeah. It was all him with that, where it, it seemed... felt like it was just a bit too much. But which was like weird because there were some other times that I felt like was either, you know, improv or ad lib, whatever your preferred term is, uh, that were really, really good. Like when after he looked in the bathroom with, with Nick um, for the gun and it wasn't there. And he puts Nick against the wall pretty hard, like almost in a slightly child abusive way. Um, like that eight seconds of dialogue between the two of them seems so real and authentic. Like they both yeah. respond to each other. Like that was definitely, it was scripted uh, generally and they played it the way that those two felt like they needed to play it. And so like, it's, it's strange because there were times that felt like, eh, that's not how we would say it. Yeah, so uh, we're going to move on to another one. Uh, body count. There is quite a bit that happens in this movie. Um, Eric, if you had to guess, I'm going to say uh, over under 30. Would you go over or under total number of people who die in this movie? Oh, man. Do you work for Vandal or DraftKings? <laughs> over under 30. That's, that's a really hard over under because I had no idea uh, that you were going to present such a thing ah uh, 30 i'm gonna say are we counting so this these are like on-screen deaths right yep deaths that are, are definitely I'm, say, I'm saying over okay so it's actually under the body count uh for this film is 24 oh, oh! yeah really well done by you that was that was yeah. good yeah. that was good good bookmaking you uh <laughs> must have some experience in such things <laughs> No, not yet at least. <laughs> so we're gonna uh, we're gonna move on to um, another reoccurring segment here on Rob's reviews. So as we think about what makes iconic movies iconic, there's a lot of things that do that, and one of the things that I think most people will feel you know about their favorite movies is that they've got great lines, just things that you find yourself saying to friends or relatives, or you just kind of find yourself saying it in your head or just things that bring a smile to your face, you know, a specific line from, from your favorite movies. Um, this one doesn't have as many as, as other ones that we've covered, but um, I, I've got a couple that I really liked and uh, I'm going to start with um, a line that Oleg says uh when he is it's probably about three quarters of the way through the movie maybe a little bit further um and he's standing and he's talking to uh, his stepfather anzer and uh he is uh, he says i'm sorry and then there's he says something back to him and he says i'm sorry i missed referring to how he was shot in the shoulder and that is among the most badass lines ever said by a 10 year old on film so that that's a that's a great one um when uh, we're going back to the scene with the pedophiles and Teresa um, has discovered the DVD collection and she knows for sure who Ooh, these people are and what they are. She drops and she some calls words. 911. <laughs> yep. She calls 911 and they says, 911, do you have an emergency? And she says, I just heard sh a shooting across the hall. And then she just waits them both after she hangs up 
Um, oh yeah, that's that's a pretty great line it's, from this movie. It's not just blam blam either. She two pieces them both, and she knew these people were nasty, and yep. they needed she, to die. And she, she cancels their happen. subscription to life. You know, we had kind of talked about she's not like she's not actually a criminal. Like, and, and I don't know that anybody, and there's very few people that would like hold her actions against her here, but um, that's probably really like the actual worst thing she does in the whole film. So uh, moving on like to an globally, one of the best things a person could uh, do. Yeah. So um, the last one that I had, it's uh, uh, the, the pimp Lester's walking around and uh you know, I, I forget what, exactly what it was, but he, he, I think he'd gotten roughed up a little bit. And the, the character's asking him, you know, hey, what's going on? What uh, what happened to you? And he uh, was saying, who did that to him? And he, he responds with some puta whose forwarding address is going to be in 10 different zip codes. All of them dumpsters. All of them dumpsters. <laughs> I know he says it like it's so great. And it's really not I'm that like, funny. that's. But he delivers it so well. Um that's David Warshawski. Yeah. He, he plays a bunch. Like he's, I've noticed him in a bunch of stuff, you know, very secondary role. A lot of times, not even a speaking part, um, but he plays an excellent pimp in yeah. this movie. So I, uh, those were the ones that I had. Did you have any other uh, notable and quotables that you wanted to share beyond those three? Yeah, I liked, um, I really liked John Noble. Uh, as a fantastic Russian mob boss. Like he just, he looks like it and sounds like it. He does a great job. And when Joey goes off on him and, and uh, name drops what his like crime family uh, is known as bowl. It's like a Russian mafia thing. And it has to do with some seriously nasty people in, in you know, the old country as they say, but when he pulls his shirt open and tells him, you know, that he should fear that symbol was like, Oh man. And like, you know, that Joey knows this, like he knows that that dude is, he's a serious man. And in the way that like heads of state are serious, uh, he's not somebody that you should be talking to recklessly like that. And I think if that's the moment when Joey knows that he's probably going to die, like he, he's not leaving there with his life which is pretty you know, serious for a serious movie. Yep. So we're going to move on uh, our next segment. So thinking about things that make iconic movies, iconic, one of the things that really helps set a, a good movie apart from great movies or a good movie apart from lesser films is the bad guys. You know, we all love a good bad guy. So a segment we had done uh, on our last show, we're going to call this one villainy index. <laughs> So on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is Darth Vader, that is the gold standard for villains. I will accept no questions on this subject at this time. And uh, one is John Travolta's character from Battlefield Earth. Where would you rank the mobsters uh, of this movie? And I'm going to kind of just call the mobsters collectively, you know, the villains of this film. Um, you know, if you want to pick one or two of them out specifically, but just to me, I just kind of put them all together as, as the antagonists of this film. Uh, Eric, where do you rank them on our villainy index? I, I mean, I think this has to be at least mid to high eights. I think we're talking about, again, just my feelings and sentiment towards John Noble as a Russian mob boss. 
you also definitely don't get to that point without having done some very serious nasty stuff too and like they're pretty casual about killing people which you know just indicates a general psychopathy but that's that's bad the italian guy same thing doesn't care about anything else except just getting what he wants he honestly wasn't even really all that upset about his son being murdered in front of him who by the way his son was a complete degenerate criminal as well just completely murdered a guy that he grew up with sal uh they all grew up together but turns out sal was a little bit of a snitch so he got executed and tommy thought that was just totally fine he was like making jokes and like kind of talking a little bit of crap so like he's also very 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 much on the the scumbag list so like as a collective i mean they do offer quite a bit of resistance it's it's a tough task for him to climb through so if we're just saying villainy seven five so i'm gonna give the and again i'm gonna just kind of say for my purposes here the the villains of this are, are the collective mob i'm gonna say the italians and the the russians all mixed together I'm going to give these guys a five. I don't find them to be particularly smart. I don't even think they're actually very good at being criminals in general. Um, They really let their emotions and their egos open them up for all of their downfalls. The one thing I will say is they're very threatening and they can be effective at times. And you fully believe that these are people that are willing to do anything and everything. You mentioned, yes, he takes out, um, you know, Michael Cudlitz's character, um, you know, who'd been a, a long-term friend. So you you definitely are intimidated by them and, and have to take them as a very real threat. Um, but they're not particularly smart. And like I said, I think they're, I think they're actually kind of bad at being criminals in a lot of ways. And I think there's, if they were smarter, they could have probably all come out of this a little bit further ahead. So well, Tommy is like the classic meathead, like nepotism, you know, recipient. You oh, know, yeah. he's, he's the chosen one, but he also wants to be the playboy uh, type and, and, you know, not ride on daddy's coattails, even though he totally does like that. You know, yeah. Yeah. He, he played that pretty well. It's believable. But yeah, there's like a lot of the, you know, how did you get to be so good at this for being so dumb? Like there's definitely some of that. I would agree with that for sure. Yep. So uh, our next segment we call uh, Eric's EPU Extended Playlist. And it's a it's a segment we've had for several shows now. Um, you know, we, we really like to celebrate the music that is used in, in the film. It helps really set the scene, set the mood. And it also helps make films truly iconic. So uh, for returning listeners of the uh, of the Rob's Review Show, you know that uh, we've done this in the past. And each episode that we've done uh, has come with a corresponding playlist that you can search for on Spotify. Um that uh, Eric curates and puts together that uh, some of the music is from the film and some of it is just picking up on the general vibe of the film, the kind of, the kind of music that fits the theme and just fits the, uh, the overall feel. So uh, Eric, what can listeners find uh, for this particular playlist and uh, what is the name of it? For the name, we, we've got the, the typical uh, prefix here, MGTCMEPU, uh, Red Ice is what we're going to go with. Um, they say it a couple different times in the film. It's uh, a reference to a very bloody hockey match where there's lots of hitting, lots of fighting. Uh, I draw on 
the feel of the movies more than just about anything else. Um, but it, it also could come directly from the official soundtrack. If there is one, not every film has one or also a time period thing, either the time period that the movie was set in, like where it takes place or the time that it was released. Uh, it's kind of an all encompassing possibility of, of greatness. That's why a lot of these are very eclectic. You're not going to find a, a singular theme across the board, start to finish. But uh, this one does lean pretty heavily on some, like late 90s early aughts uh metal some new metal uh just some some hard rock uh maybe a little bit of industrial influence and uh it's it's really pretty rad i wanted it to fit the 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 franticness of this movie from from really like within the first what is it like a minute and a half before something somebody dies (laughs) <laughs> like it's, it's it's in that range quick. yeah and it's dark it's, it's it's visceral it's primal it's raw it's gritty it's uncomfortable it's anxious it's fast so i really i ended up leaning pretty heavily on some some heavy fast paced stuff um so we've got uh white zombie we've got rage um we've got cell dweller which i think i threw them on one uh previous um static x uh dope uh pantera even Power Man 5000, Godsmack, Stabbing Westward, which I know I've used before, but there's a couple of techno songs in there that are really good. Nine Inch Nails is also in there. Because uh, the, the one that I actually did pull from the film is called I Should Know, and it's by Dirty Vegas, which we uh, are fans of, especially uh, Days Go By. It's one of the greatest. So, like, these are all high beats per minute um, songs that are frantic in parts they are heavy in parts uh the corn song coming undone was the very first one that i put in my little notepad uh, app uh when i started to create a list of, of ideas for a playlist for this movie which was many many months ago um because i just felt like that's how joey gazelle felt the entire time like he was yeah he's never verge. comfortable like he's not um, comfortable once at, like at any point he could get killed doing any of the things that he's doing to prevent himself from eventually being killed. Yeah. So I honestly, um, if you are listening to this now, first of all, thank you. Um, but secondly, um, you know, certainly we encourage you to listen to everything up and down the Matt goes to the movies channel, check out uh, our friend Harrison show, the basement binge when you're looking for something to listen to. Occasionally you're going to be looking for music though. Occasionally just, you know, voice in the background isn't quite what you need for that moment. Um, so check out these. Uh, I still listen to a lot of these in regular rotation. The, uh, the one you put together for gone in 60 seconds, I listen to pretty regularly, especially if I'm late for work. Um, so oh, what would yeah, you that's standard? That's like playing <laughs> that's... GTA for a couple yeah. weeks and then like driving somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh that's a great, uh, I'm late for work playlist. So what would you recommend? Is this a walk the dog playlist? Is this a housework, you know, side quest playlist? Is this drive uh long road trip playlist? Uh, what do you recommend uh, that this is a good fit for? Oh, definitely not long road trip playlist. If you have passengers, if you're by yourself, it's great. Uh, not walking the dog, probably not, because you like maybe don't want to like karate kick your neighbor in the throat. <laughs> I mean, maybe you do, but like you shouldn't. You probably but shouldn't. This might motivate you to do such. This is a great like gym playlist. If you're working, oh out, yeah, I, I promise you, like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pump yourself up. Here, you're, gonna get you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a pump. 
and you're going to get those gains and you're going to stack. That's a thing, stacking, I guess. I don't know. But I don't either, know. I, whatever. I don't know what that means. Um, I heard it I somewhere. Really liked, I really liked the movie, the Paul Walker and the Rock were in Pain and Gain. That was all about like lifting. Um, not a great movie, by the way, but I loved it. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is intense. This is high paced. Uh, it's great for side quests if you're, you know, cursed with running a vacuum or dusting or anything stupid like that. This will help some of the hate flow through you, and you can feel the dark side. Um, yeah, not not a good not a good uh, family time playlist. No, probably not. This, but nothing about this movie is. So, uh, I've got a couple behind the scenes details I want to go over, and um, kind of interestingly, I found that Paul Walker's brother was actually used in the dinner scene when Oleg shoots Anzor. Um, Tragically, this is not the last time one of Paul Walker's brothers will be used on a movie set with his brother as both Cody and Caleb Walker were used in the finishing of uh, Fast 7 after Paul's untimely death. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting detail. I kind of wondered how they had done that because it was really cool how they did that, uh, you know, in reverse motion. Um, I really did like that scene very early in the I film. It's not... at about that 20 minute point. I didn't know that. Yeah. Another uh, behind the scenes detail that I picked out. Um the last name on the prescription bottle that Oleg pulls out of the predator's medicine cabinet is Hansel, um, which is kind of an interesting uh, reference to Hansel and Gretel where a child also barely escapes, um, you know, a really bad situation. So um, those were the only behind the scenes details that I had. Eric, did you have any others? Um, We're just piggybacking off of that. They have a, keypad lock to open the door to leave their house okay so like that's you know clearly they're terrible um but the the keypad plays a tone for each number you press and the number combination results in a a little melody that sounds very much like mary had a little lamb which is extra creepy um and and really just kind of plays into the fact that there's so many things that exist in opposition to each other at the same time in this movie that's like everything exists as an antithesis of itself and it's 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 hard to reconcile as you're watching it so like this is one of the ones that i would definitely recommend people watch more than once if space it out if you need to fast forward through the really terrible stuff if you have to also but this is a good one that i mean i've seen it dozens of times um the this is definitely one that you will get more from as you watch it, you know, on, on subsequent rewatches two, three, and four. Yeah. A popular segment on Rob's reviews is where we talk about alternate castings or who was considered, who could have been, who roles were offered to originally. So this is not a film that a lot of people probably know. Again, I mentioned it's not critically well thought of. It didn't do great numbers at the box office. It's not even really in a cult classic standpoint, you know, where a film like, say, Office Space exists or like Super Troopers, where it it was critically panned and nobody saw it, but then it just built up all this head of steam and DVD sales. Um, So there's not a lot of things out there on this, but I did find that the original pick for Joey Gazelle before being offered to Paul Walker was actually Thomas Jane, uh, who had to turn it down for a scheduling conflict. Now, yeah, I wasn't able to find out what 
his scheduling conflict was. But just looking at the movies that came out during that period of was time. Was it a Highlander movie? No, it was The Mist is the one I think it was. Okay. Um, which if you've never seen The Mist, uh, just go ahead and skip it. Like if you've never seen it, I'm <laughs> going to do you a favor. Uh, don't watch it. The ending of that movie is the single most depressing end of a movie I have ever seen. I will. I've seen it once. I will never watch it again. Like what, I will never. What has he been in besides uh, Punisher and Hung, which was a short-lived series on HBO that actually I found very entertaining. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but he, you know, I think most people know Thomas Jane primarily from Punisher. Would be my guess. Um, that's that's which what most people know him for. Awesome. Also, the first one I really liked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's the only ones that I was able to locate. So we're going to move into. Wait, what do you think that, how do you think he would have done? Um, I, I, I think, think he would have been fine. I don't think he would have been the same guy. I, it might have been just as good, but I don't think it would have been the same Joey Gazelle. I I really like Paul Walker in this role. I, I'm Even in movies that are terrible, I generally think he's pretty good. Um, I, I think I don't... he rises to the top a little bit. Uh, the early Fast movies were hokey and campy, and I think too fast too furious kind of leaned into itself a little bit which yeah. actually holds up better now than it did right after it came out for me um but i think that he ended up being besides the rock and jason statham he ended up being probably the best uh as far as acting jobs goes um because obviously vin diesel's terrible um yeah. but i want all of this in there yeah he's, he's not good uh, yeah yeah quick plug if you're into the fast franchise um uh, our friend harrison on the basement binge uh invited matt and i to uh, break down the whole series it was about a year ago we did it uh, i was only able to join for a couple of them uh just my schedule didn't permit it but uh, you, you can hear harrison and matt's thoughts on the whole series over on the basement binge um but yeah i think um I think Thomas Jane would have been fine. I think he's a fine actor overall. I, I think ultimately Paul Walker ended up being a better choice for the film that was made. Who knows what could have happened? You know, a different actor might have had a different tone to the role and the whole film could have ended up being a little I bit I think different. Tom Jane would have been too copy. Copy is in police. Like, I think he would have exuded the, the law enforcement vibe too much unless they really would have had to have done some good costume and makeup to make him appear to be more of a dirtbag because like if you see it then you kind of believe it a little bit more when you hear it yeah i, I don't know i, I think it's i see where you're coming me. from on that i think it's a longer walk for him to to be convincing as a dirtball than than a uh, very short-haired uh you know bearded paul walker i think he he just that to me i'm, I'm buying it more now maybe it's because that's what really happened and that's reality but i i don't know i, I would lean towards paul walker being a better product in that regard yeah. So uh, that being said, we're going to move into our ranking scale here on Rob's Reviews. We call it rewatchability rating and Pantheon points. So rewatchability, um, that's what makes an all-time classic movie a classic, the kind of thing that makes us want to talk about some of these great films that have been with us for a long time. So uh, normally on the big show here at Matt Goes to the Movies, uh, we typically rank things out of five reels. Well, for these all-time classics, you know, just ranking something out of five reels is is a lot challenging um, because these are the kind of movies that if we're going to pick it to talk about, we're just going to give it a five on that scale. So we have to give it a different scale for these all timers. So uh, to, to remind listeners of what that scale is uh, a number five 
means you would, it basically means you would watch this thing start to finish every time locked in. A four, you put it on, play with your phone in between scenes that you love. Three, this is background noise while you're doing housework. Two, it's a film you enjoy, but probably wouldn't go out of your way to watch again. Or a one, it just simply doesn't hold up the way I remember it. So, uh, Eric, I will let you go first. Running Scared, where does it rank for you on the rewatchability rating? Oh, it's five. This, this is a guaranteed five. Because, And I'll tell you why. I, this might be the first time I've said that a five, a solid, even 5.0. It's because two of your ratings have, have been things that have been overturned and overruled by the Supreme Court of my brain. <laughs> the, do you, do you know, like, okay, so you know, like whenever you're watching something and because we're all guilty of this, you're sitting there scrolling on your phone, doing whatever you're doing, playing Clash of Clans, you know, whatever. And you forget that you were also watching a show. And so like the ad break that they put up, like, you know, if you're not super rich and paying for a primo ad free subscription to whatever. So you're like playing on your phone and then like you forget that you were watching a thing and you just missed like 10 minutes of something because you were, you know, like reading something funny or watching funny videos on your phone. This is the opposite. This is like I'm scrolling on my phone and then like the movie really kicks off and like I just set my phone down and I like do that move where you lean forward, you sit at the edge of your seat and you put your your forearms or your elbows on your knees and you're like leaning forward, like almost like you're a catcher in a baseball game. And then I forget that I even have a phone and then two hours later i'm like oh crap i just watched a whole movie so i it's the opposite i forget that i even have a phone instead of forgetting that i'm watching something and the you know doing the side quests around the house like again i've had this on and like tried to do background and i end up sitting down and watching the entire thing and not doing what i was going to do i will watch this start to finish without fail Anytime that it's on, if I'm putting, like, I'm not putting this on and falling asleep to it. Like, this is not an no, night. that's first, a terrible all, idea. <laughs> the subject matter is bad enough that if you take any type of pharmaceutical thing, whether it's legal or prescribed or otherwise, this is a bad idea to go to sleep to this. So, but like, it, I do deliberately watch it. And whenever I do, I know that it's a two hour commitment because I'm not doing anything else. Yeah. So this is not something that you can multitask while it's on. You just really can't. Um, that being said, you know, the, the ranking scale is just kind of a general idea of where, why something might rank in, in that sort of way for me. Um, you know, I'm going to give this a four just because it's not necessarily that I'm, I'm going to be playing with my phone, but there's the scenes with the pedophiles. I'm just probably walking out of the room and just waiting until that scene's over and then coming back when she pulls the trigger and wastes them both like that, that I probably skip. Outside of that, I'm gonna, yeah, is, I'm going to hold my pee for that moment, and then I'm going to go yeah. take that leak. Yep. Uh, outside of that, you really can't look away when when this movie's on because it just drags you from when it when it really gets going, and it gets going quick. It just pulls you the whole way through to the end. You you have to be involved. So uh, that's why I would give this a four. Now we're going to move into a kind of another way of ranking things and that's called Pantheon points. And we just, you know, we have a bunch of different ways you can regard movies. You can rank them. This is just kind of like a fun, goofy ranking. Like if, when you think about all the different ways you can, you can think about movies, 
So Eric, I'll go ahead and go first in terms of, you know, when I think about running scared, where does this, where do I sort of rank this movie in my head? How do I group this together? Um, this is easily in my top three of nonstop action, nonstop carnage kind of, kind of movies. It's, it's in my top three for sure. Um, I don't know that I feel like I could rank this like top 50, top 100. I don't, I don't feel confident that I could quite do that. And, it, and if you can, by all means, go ahead. Um, I will also say in terms of other pantheons, I would put this in that this is my favorite Paul Walker movie where he plays a cop pretending to be a small time hustler. Well, Cause he's done that more than once. Well, he has, <laughs> which is, what, which is weird that that's, times? that was, yeah, <laughs> but that was his kind of, that, that kind of became his career with apologies right. to the Matt goes to the movies uh, fan page. I know there's a lot of fast and furious fans that uh, post regularly over there, but um, I, I like running scared, uh, better than anything he did in, uh, the fast franchise. So, uh, those are my pantheons, Eric, what, uh, how, how do you kind of regard this movie when you think about it against other films? I'm going to say that this is my top two Paul Walker movie that doesn't involve fast and the furious. It's top 25. This is hall of fame overall for me. I will never forget the first time I saw this one. And I think it, if you're going to say something that is ubiquitous to how people feel about art is how did you feel the first time you saw it? I, I just think that it was really, really well done across the board. All right. So that's going to do it for our review of the 2006 overlooked classic running scared. Um, want to wrap up just with a couple of things to let listeners know about that is coming up in the, uh, the podcasting world. Um, you can expect, uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but we've got the, a whole breakdown planned on the Jason Bourne series. We're going to go through the whole, uh, series of those, including the Jeremy Renner one. Um, I've actually only seen the first one. Um, that I can reliably remember for sure that I've seen. So uh, I'm really looking. You've not seen the the at least not, the other Matt Damon. Not that I'm 100% positive that I've seen. If I have, it's been a long time ago. So I'm I'm actually really Ooh. excited to have an excuse to go check I'm those all out. Jealous. I and that's another thing about great movies is when you feel like you're jealous of somebody who hasn't seen it yet. That you oh yeah, know is about about to watch it because it's like, oh my god, I wish I could be you. I want to see this again for the first time. Because yeah, the the Bourne movies are all very very awesome, and like your first time seeing it is so sweet. So yeah, oh, man, and, the, and the fact that they're like really cool spy movies, and I've never seen them, like at least not all of them, is like really weird for me. So we've got that coming. Um, also, uh, recently. Um, Matt Harrison and myself did a review on the movie Prey that just released on Hulu that is getting all kinds of buzz going. Um, it's a, a lot of people are really into that movie. It's getting well, it's getting great reviews. It got great reviews from us. So you can check that out. Uh, likewise, uh, we had an episode of Rob's reviews with a different co-host than Eric. Uh, it was my oldest daughter, Lillian, who joined us for Minions Rise of Gru for a, a recap of that. So uh, make sure you check that out. Lily had a lot of fun doing it and uh, you might see her again uh, here on the extended podcast universe. Um, 
our friend Harrison at the Basement Binge, he's got a full breakdown of the Transformers series, starting with the animated classic from 1986, running through all of the live action films. We just recorded uh, the final uh, film in the live action series for the last night. Matt and I did where we were lucky enough to be on all of those episodes with him. So th- those are coming out very soon. Um, a couple of them are out already and Harrison's releasing those in a little bit. Um, we actually had recorded back in like January, February, we did, uh, all three of the how to train your dragon trilogy films, uh, over on the basement bench. So I know he's still got those in the can that he is working on getting out. I think those are coming out after transformers. Um, those are great films. So I, I certainly recommend those. So look forward to our breakdowns on that. Outside of that, if you enjoy the show, you want to send us an email, you can send it to mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the show on all of the social media platforms. Uh, you can find the, uh, the show on Facebook. You can certainly check out the Facebook group, which is a lot of fun, a lot of discussion in there. Instagram, TikTok, uh, you can find it all over the place. Uh, Matt will have the links below for all the ways to get in touch with the show or subscribe to the show. Um, outside of that, we really appreciate you taking a moment to download this particular episode, listen to this episode. Uh, if you have any feedback on it, certainly we'd love to hear it. And uh, if you, uh, have not checked out this movie before and decided to based on our review, uh, tell us what you think about it. Was it worth it? Um, what did you think? So, um, on behalf of Eric and myself, uh, thank you uh, for listening to the show and we will see you the next time that we jump into the extended podcast universe for another episode of Rob's Reviews.